Good morning and welcome to Worship from Creef. If you've been with us over these past few weeks, you'll remember that we are on this journey from Christmas to the cross. And we've been reading and we've been thinking about Jesus as a child, these years of preparation before his baptism and the period of temptation in the wilderness. Then we went on to think about his public ministry as he brought people from that starting point of belief into a more mature discipleship. And then last Sunday, we were looking back at this block of teaching when Jesus withdrew from the crowds and went up a, a mountain. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. He withdrew from the crowds and spent that intense period of teaching his closest disciples, teaching them about the kingdom of God. You know, when we consider the temptations that Jesus must have gone through, we see that they were all attempts to persuade him to follow the way of popular acclaim and to, as it were, deflect him from the way of the cross. And the same temptation to disobedience and compromise must have clogged his every footstep. It's this that explains Jesus' almost fierce command to people to keep silent about the miracles they had seen. Sometimes we call this the messianic secret. Jesus did not want people to know the fact of his messiahship until they were ready to truly grasp its nature. For instance, just think how easy it would have been on the Mount of Transfiguration when given a foretaste of his resurrection body Presumably he could have stepped straight from that moment of glory into glory without needing to suffer and die at all. But once again he resisted the temptation to avoid the cross, deliberately coming back to this life in order to die for our sins. Well today we come to the significant occasion when Peter for the very first time made an explicit confession of Jesus as the Messiah and then came to grasp after some protest the true necessity of the cross. This occasion was a turning point in Jesus' ministry. But before we spend a bit of time looking at that this morning let's sing and then we'll read and we'll hear from God's written word. Thy work and defend thee 
Matthew chapter 16 When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. A number of years ago, my wife Elizabeth and I made a study trip to Israel and Palestine. And up in the far north of these lands, in the Golan Heights, at the foot of Mount Hermon, is a place called Banias. Banias is an ancient site that developed around the spring that was once associated with the Greek god Pan, the god of the wild and the companion of the nymphs. And there at Banias, shrines were carved into the rock along a, an 80 metre long natural cliff terrace. And a temple was constructed from the rock around the entrance of a cave from which flowed a large spring which formed the Banias River, one of the main tributaries of the River Jordan. It was here at Banias that Matthew and Mark tell us Jesus took his disciples. At that time, Banias was known as Caesarea Philippi. And here, in the privacy and solitude of that place, Jesus asked his disciples two questions. Firstly, he asked, who do people say the Son of Man is? And he followed that, asking them, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Now, to the first of his questions about public opinion, the disciples replied that people thought Jesus was John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And to his second question about who they thought he was, Simon Peter, the leader and the spokesman of the twelve disciples, blurted out, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Although perhaps he was using that title in its limited messianic sense. As soon as Peter had borne witness to Jesus, Jesus in turn bore witness to Peter. Firstly, he said Peter had come, about, come to this uh, conviction not by human reasoning, but by a revelation from God the Father. And secondly, and no doubt inspired by the scenery around them, the rocky former pantheistic temple setting, Peter was in some sense the rock on which the Messiah would build his community, which would last forever. Now, there have been times when certain Protestant churches have struggled with this second statement of Peter being the rock on which Jesus was going to build his church. I even heard of one Bible translation that cut this statement out entirely. But what we need to remember is that throughout the New Testament, Christ himself is the rock on which the church is built. He is that foundation. And the majority of the early church fathers... The early church leaders taught that the rock is the faith professed by Peter, not Peter professing the faith. Just a couple of months ago, it was reported that an altar uh, to a Greek deity amalgamating the characteristics of Pan and Zeus, these two Greek gods, had been discovered in the ruins of a Byzantine church in Banias. The inscription was concealed, it had been turned into the wall. The altar had been set into the wall and used as a lowly 
building stone in building that church. And then thirdly, Peter was given the keys to the kingdom. Now, I think we need to clear our minds of any notion of Peter somehow standing at the gate of heaven, unlocking and relocking the door whenever someone leaves this earthly life and enters into heaven. Because as we affirm each time we pray the words of the Lord's Prayer, that kingdom has already begun on earth. And historically speaking, Peter was the human agent through whom were admitted to the kingdom of God, first the Jewish people, then the Samaritans, and finally the Gentiles. And if we have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and begun this process of maturing into Christian discipleship, that includes you and me. And finally, for just one more time, Jesus warned the disciples not to tell anyone about him. To understand why Jesus again gave this warning not to tell anyone about him, and before we come to the confrontation between Jesus and Peter, it might help to be reminded of the historical background. Caesarea Philippi, as it's called in the Gospels, had been known by various names over the years. The first mention is during the Hellenistic period in the context of the Battle of Panium, one of a series of wars fought around 200 years BC by the different states that were formerly part of Alexander the Great's mighty but crumbling empire. And over the years, many different forces from different nations fought and overtook that region. And so the name changed from Panion to Panias to Caesarea Panias to Caesarea Philippi to Neronius and eventually back to Banias. For more than 700 years, Israel had been oppressed by the successive empires of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, except for a very, very brief period under the Maccabees. At the turn of this first century, a number of apocalyptic movements had arisen in that land, whose leaders made wild promises that Yahweh was about to intervene through the Messiah, that Israel's enemies would be destroyed in a violent and bloody conflict, that the messianic age of peace and freedom would finally dawn. And Galilee, where Jesus and, and his disciples had come from, it was a hotbed of such expectation. And some people were focusing their hope on Jesus of Nazareth. But knowing that the people intended to come and, and make him king by force, Jesus withdrew into the mountains. He had not come to be that kind of military messiah. Hence the command to be silent. But now, once Peter had confessed Jesus as Messiah, the disciples should be ready to learn about the sufferings of the Messiah. So Jesus began to teach them, and it was not a new instruction, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be killed. Now he spoke this plainly and openly, and now he did so. There was no need for any more silence 
But Peter was aghast. He exploded, never, Lord, never shall this happen to you. You see, what Peter had in mind was the, the, the figure of the Son of Man described in, in Daniel chapter 7, who was given authority and, and glory and, and sovereign power so that the nations would worship him. Just a little later, Peter would get a foretaste of that glory on the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. But at that moment, Peter could not understand how the Son of Man would suffer. It was, in his mind, a contradiction of terms. And so Peter brashly rebuked Jesus. And now Jesus rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. This same Peter, who had received a, a divine revelation, had now become an object of satanic deception. Still today, the voice of Peter sometimes drowns out the voice of Christ. For like Peter, there are many people who deny the necessity of the cross. The cross is still a stumbling block to human pride. And yet, Jesus, seemingly knowing that he was going to be crucified, moved on from speaking of his cross to referring to our cross. And he says, if anyone wants to follow him, they must first take up their cross. Now, what did he mean? Well, if you and I had lived in Roman-occupied Palestine and had seen a man carrying a crossbar, we would have no need to run up to him and ask him what he was doing. It would have been obvious that here was a condemned criminal carrying his own cross to his place of execution. And this is the imagery that Jesus chose to illustrate the meaning of self-denial. Self-denial is not giving up chocolate for Lent, nor is it some personal and painful trial. Our move from belief to discipleship means more than just putting on a, a thin veneer of piety on an otherwise secular life. Rather, becoming and being a Christian involves a change so radical that there's no imagery that can do it justice except death and resurrection. Dying to the old self of the old life of self-centeredness and, and then rising to a new life of holiness and love. Nor is this action of taking up our cross a one-time action, for it's something we are to do daily. And we need the help of others on our move from belief to discipleship. You know, as these uh, vaccines continue to be put into people's arms and, and we have some hope of beginning to emerge from this rather strange year, I'm reminded all the more of the importance of how we live as the church family here in Creef. We need to have things in place in our church to, to help each one of us to, to grow from belief into that more mature Christian discipleship. Or else we just stay as baby believers. Or even worse, we're stillborn, coming to believe but then nothing following. 
almost a year ago, we were set to approve as a congregation a move to unity constitution. And when we finally get that move approved, one major aspect of our church life will need to be helping each other on that lifelong journey from belief to discipleship. And you know, to do that is not just my task or the task of the elders in the Kirk Session. It's the task of all our congregation, particularly those in power to direct our discipleship. But it's the responsibility of each one of us. That's one of the things we need to be praying for even now, in our own quiet time when we pray at home, but also when we come together as, a, as members of the congregation to pray and to seek God's leading in our fellowship. Discipleship needs to run deep in our lives, not just become that thin veneer that is so easily broken away and forgotten. Savior, friend, oh prophet, priest, and king. 
Till then I would thy love proclaim with every fleeting breath. And may the music of thy name refresh my soul in death. Refresh my soul in When I was at high school in Edinburgh, one of the plays I particularly enjoyed reading during our higher English class was A Man for All Seasons by Robert Bolt. It's a play about the life of Sir Thomas More and his refusal to bend the will to King Henry VIII, neither signing a letter asking Pope Clement VII to annul Henry's marriage to Catherine of Aragon, nor taking an oath of supremacy declaring Henry supreme head of the Church of England. A few years later I was fortunate enough to see it performed in the Savoy Theatre in London with Charlton Heston playing Sir Thomas More and Roy Kinnear playing the common man. One of the most famous passages in the play is an exchange between the principled Sir Thomas and his young acquaintance Richard Rich who has long lobbied for a position at court finally achieving the rather minor position of Attorney General for Wales. He has sold himself short by committing perjury and betraying his friend Sir Thomas, who cries out, For Wales? Why, Richard, it profit a man nothing to give his soul for the whole world, but for Wales? The significance of this lambasting is the fact that in accepting this position, Richard Rich has sold his soul for a mere pittance. Now the phraseology in the play of course comes from the mouth of Jesus and it's one of Jesus' favourite sayings which he seems to have used in several different contexts. The late John Stott, who was minister of All Souls Church, which I attended in London, paraphrased it in this way. If you insist on holding to yourself and refuse to let yourself go, but determine to live for yourself, you will lose yourself. That is the way of death, not the way of life. But if you are willing to lose yourself, to give yourself away in love, in the service of the gospel, then in the moment of complete abandon, when you think you have lost everything, the miracle takes place and you find yourself. Imagine what our church here in Creef would be like if we all helped and encouraged each other to live that way. Imagine if our structures and our ways of doing things were focused on fostering new relationships and bringing people from the point of belief and then helping them along that path of discipleship. Imagine if we made it a priority to encourage each other to come together, not just for worship on a Sunday, but for the congregational prayer time and to opportunities of fellowship with each other during the week. Even just encouraging one another by being there 
perhaps on the Zoom coffee every Sunday, dropping in the hub in the high street to encourage the volunteers at the moment. Being salt and light, the salt and light that Jesus speaks of in the Sermon on the Mount. Or is being part of the church just that thin veneer on our life, just that thin layer that's easily chipped away, worn away and discarded? You see, when the church is just something other people do, or an hour you give each week, or a place you go, it's just that thin veneer that's all too easily replaced with other things. There are many people today who focus their lives on self-discovery and self-actualization. There are whole schools of philosophy that have arisen to develop around these themes. And it sounds attractive. Until we remember that according to Jesus, the only way to self-discovery is self-denial. And the only way to live is to die to our own self-centeredness. Perhaps during this season of Lent, we do well to remember that it is impossible to gain the whole world. And even if we could, it would not last. And while it did, it would not satisfy. Greatness in the kingdom of God is the way of self-sacrifice. Not what can I get from the church, but what can I give to others in and through the church. Greatness in the kingdom of God is the way of service. Not what position can I gain in the church, but how can I serve and help my fellow believers in their discipleship. Greatness in the kingdom of God is a choice between security and suffering. Think of these brothers, James and John, coveting honour and power and safety, while Jesus offered sacrifice and service and suffering. There are two distinct communities in the world with two very distinctive value systems. The symbol of one is the throne. The symbol of the other is the cross. And it is from Christmas to the cross that we'll continue to journey over these coming weeks of the Lent that lies before us. This is our God.
You know, our experience of the passing of time over recent months is perhaps unlike anything we have ever collectively known. On the one hand, the experience of lockdown and restriction and, and all of the absence of the normal rhythms of life has almost dislocated us from the normal experience of the passing of time. But on the other hand, the relocation of worship and work and social interaction onto these digital platforms that we're using today has rapidly transformed the times in which we live. These two things, alongside many others, are happening at one and the same time and we cannot yet tell how they will finally shape the future times. Although we cannot tell how that future will unfold, what we do recognise is that the Kingdom of God is at hand. And in light of this, resolve to journey with Jesus towards the place of the cross. This gift of time in the light of God's kingdom is an opportunity to live out our response to the good news of Jesus. And so we pray together. And in our prayers, I invite you, when I pray, Lord, in your mercy, 
to join in the response. Hear our prayer. Let us pray. God, whose kingdom is near and who knows the times in which we live, may we hear the call of your Son and turn once more to embrace the good news he proclaims. In the times in which we live, grant us the grace to do so. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, whose kingdom is near and who knows the times in which we live, your Son has embraced time and became truly human for us and for our salvation. As we face the hard challenges of these days, may we know that we are embraced by your Son. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, whose kingdom is near and who knows the times in which we live, be with those for whom this day is hard and who long for respite. Be with those who seek to bring healing and comfort and grant them wisdom and compassion to do so. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, whose kingdom is near and who knows the times in which we live, be with us as we resolve to journey with your Son in the days that lie before us. Whether in the wilderness or by the living waters, may we know your presence ever renewed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And hear us as we pray the words Jesus gave to his followers, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory for ever. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for joining together in worship this Sunday. Uh, there'll be an opportunity in a few moments to grab a cup of tea, cup of coffee, come together, have a chat with one another over Zoom after the service finishes. And I do hope you'll take up that opportunity. It encourages those who are taking part to, to see others in the congregation. And there's other opportunities, of course, as well. Please do, if you're able, come and, and join in the, the congregational prayer time. It's important for us to spend time together and to, to seek God's leading uh, through praying with one another. That's Monday evening, 7.30 till 8. You don't need to pray out loud. Just simply being there and, and adding your amen to the prayers of others is, is, is enough encouragement as we seek uh, to know the will of God for our 
corporate life as the church here in Creef. And do be taking other opportunities during the week. Pick up the phone, phone someone in the church, bless and encourage them. Pop into the hub, say hi to the volunteers there, encourage them in the, the work they do in practically sharing the love of God with folks in our community. Do remember the, the, the food share that's there. If you, if you want to take some of the food away, please do so. Uh, so take these opportunities. Uh, you'll be encouraged to know that here in, in the church we've been doing some of the paperwork that's necessary for uh, the limited reopening of the buildings when that is made possible again by the Scottish Government. We're looking forward to that time when we'll be able to see at least some of, uh, some of our congregation come together in person for worship as we continue also uh, these services online. So pray, pray that the time will come and come soon when we're able to bless one another uh, with our physical presence as well as through these means of telephone and, and video linking and so on. I look forward to, to that time. So until next week, until we we're able to join together in worship again, or until we encounter one another somehow uh, through what we do and how we bless each other during the week, may you know the blessing of God, the ever-present Father, the ever-living Son, the ever-present Holy Spirit who is active in your life to descend upon you, to remain with you now and always. Amen. <laughs>